In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today we will study the letter of St. John, the third letter. And the letter of St. John, the third letter, is only one chapter. Actually, can simply fit in a single sheet of uh, papyrus. And the whole letter has to do with the concept of, remember last time we talked about the second letter, about missionaries coming to visit different churches and how the churches should support them. So this letter actually is talking about this idea of what people in the church should do when they have missionaries coming and visiting and what is the proper conduct. So that, that letter that we're gonna read today is actually specifically sent to a person in a church. And that person seemed to be a leader in the church. His name is Gaius. And it seems to be that he is one of the leaders. And St. John is sending him this letter to encourage him about his certain behavior that he's doing. Before we go into the letter, there are a couple of concepts that's important for us to look at. You can think about missionaries coming and people coming from uh, one place to another to, to the house or the church. And people coming with different backgrounds, different habits. You have people, for example, who are willing to stay for very long some people who you might feel like they're just not like the, the missionaries you're expecting. Something suspicious about them, right? So actually the Dedicate, which is the teachings of the 12 apostles, dedicated a big section for the visiting missionaries. And I give, I'm going to read a couple of passages for you. Look, this is one of from Dedicate. It says, let everyone who come in the name of the Lord, be received. Anybody coming in the name of the Lord should be received. But when you have tested him, you shall know him, for you shall have understanding of true and false. If he who comes is a traveler, help him as much as you can. But he shall not remain with you more than two days, or if in need be three. And if he wishes to settle among you as a craft, let him work for his bed, for his bread. But if he has no craft, provide for him according to your understanding, so that no man shall live among you in idleness, because he is Christian. But if he will not do so, he is making traffic of Christ. Be aware of such. So what is the teaching of the dedicate? The dedica if you have somebody visiting you as a missionary that you don't know him, you're going to welcome him because he's telling you, I'm a Christian, I'm coming in the name of God. You're going to welcome him. But what's the deal? Well, you can allow him to stay for two days, maximum three days. Now what if he says, I wanna stay longer? Then you're gonna tell him, well, you have to work. Okay? Because he says, this is the teaching of the dedicate. Because why? It's not about the, the money. It says, but nobody should be idle. Nobody sh should sit and do nothing. Okay? So this is one of the teaching of the apostles in early days. And that's so important when people used to receive strangers over. Uh, what about the behavior of the prophet? Look at this. It says, do not test or examine any prophet who is speaking in a spirit. For every sin shall be forgiven, but the sin shall not be forgiven. But not everyone who speaks in the spirit is a, a prophet, except he have the behavior of the Lord. From his behavior, then the false prophets and the true prophet shall be known. So again, you have somebody who knocks on your door. How do you know they're good, they're people who are speaking in the name of God or not? You have to test, you have to test them. How you test them? Their behavior will show. Okay? Be careful because he's talking about people staying over your house. And the house 
that people live in is a very sacred place. Because in your home, this is a privacy of your home. People get to know what you do, what's your privacy like. They might be exposed to some of the problems in the house. So there's a lot of secrets in the house. So who should I allow in becomes a problem. Also, asking for money. But whoever shall say in the spirit, give me money or something else, you shall not listen to him. But if he tell you to give on behalf of others in want, let none judge him. So what is he saying? If somebody comes to you in your house, and we have, we have, you might be exposed to those people, come to your house and ask you for money. He says, the dedicate says, do not give them money. Unless he says, I'm using this money for a service or something that's not for me personally. This is somebody presents himself as a prophet and asks for donation, which this is according to the decay, making sure that they're, they're giving it to somebody that's in need. It's important for us because there is a big difference between love and people taking advantage of you. And the teaching of the apostles are very big on this because we have to distinguish between loving people and allowing people to live a life that is not according to what the Lord wants. We're dealing with people from different backgrounds, from different beliefs. Some people might claim they do miracles. Some people even, you might have visiting fathers from overseas, they're coming over. All these things fall under this letter that we're dealing with today. If you look at the letter, the letter you can split it into four sections. From verse one to verse eight is message to a specific person, his name is Gaius. From verses nine to 10, he's talking about a person who is not very welcoming. His name is Diotrephus. From 11 to 12, he's talking about a person, his name is Demetrius. And then 13 to 14 is conclusion. That's basically the letter. So it says, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Remember, Second John, we said, who is the elder? It's the office of the church. This is an official communication coming to him from the church. To who? Gaius. Who is Gaius? Actually, if you look in the scripture, there are many Gaius. One, you will see him in 1 Corinthians 1.14. He was baptized by St. Paul and hosted him. He says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. This is what St. Paul said. And Origen claimed that he was the bishop of Thessalonica. There's also another Gaius of Macedonia. You will see him in the book of Acts, chapter 19, 29. He's one of Paul's companion who suffered the rites in Ephesians. And, and then there's a third Gaius who is the companion of Paul in his last journey to Greece. This is uh, Gaius of Derby, and you'll see him in Acts 20 from verse four to verse five. Basically, I'm not here to just, there's a point why I'm trying to mention these names. According to the apostolic constitution, the Gaius that St. Paul is, Saint John is writing to is the Gaius that he was with St. Paul in the last trip, which is in Acts 24 to five. And why is this significant? St. John is writing to him and he tell him how much he loves him. Think about this way. St. Paul was one of the most significant apostles and fathers at the time. And Gaius was one of his followers, one of his children. But somehow, Gaius also has a very strong relationship with St. John the Beloved. And he loves him and has a good relationship with him. And that's important because sometimes people in the church 
tend to like to identify themselves with a specific father or specific school of thought. But the church, that's not the spirit of the church. Abuna Tadros would always tell us, take what is good from every person. People who take a strong stand against somebody, that's usually not the spirit of the church. Church, all the church fathers, we some people that we can learn from them. So it's clear that Gaius held some sort of a, a clear leadership position. He told him, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. You see that, that almost three of the first 11 Greek words that we've read so far open with love. It's all about love. St. John, this is his language. My beloved, I love you in truth. Love. It's all about love. Okay? St. John is praying that Gaius may be in good health. Obviously, maybe Gaius himself was sick or maybe Gaius was old in age. For St. John is praying that Gaius may be in good health. And remember that St. John, at this time, he was also old. And he probably was not doing well. But he's wishing and praying for Gaius' health, something that he himself also is lacking. And this is one of the ways that we can actually offer prayers to God when whatever I am missing, I pray for my brothers and sisters who don't have it. For St. John is telling him, I want you to prosper in all things. And the most important part for us is prospering and walking with God, because that's the main part. The fact that a lot of people prosper in so many things that people don't give attention to. Like I'll give you an example. <clears throat> How many homes, the members in the house love each other so much and there's so much chemistry and peace. And that, that little success, that little prospers, is so significant. But somehow, a lot of people don't talk about it as a big success. The success that the world is obsessed with, usually, is financial success. Is what kind of car you're driving. The fact, for example, that you're successful at finding what God wants you to do for the rest of your life and having great satisfaction in your life. The success in hearing God's voice in every small detail in your life. The success sometimes that God allows you to have good reputation. The Bible says good reputation is to be sought after more than gold. The success that you're able to see your sins and repent. The success that you're able to discipline yourself and walk in the way of God. There are so many ways people can be successful. For St. John is looking at guys and telling him, I want you to be successful in all things just as your soul prospers. His soul, kidda, because it's, it's close to God, is able to prosper in so many ways. It's important to know that people who are close to God they succeed in so many different areas. A life of peace, a life of joy, a life of satisfaction. People in the world can succeed in some areas, but they always struggle very much to find fulfillment. Very hard to find fulfillment. 
and they're constantly looking for something to make them happy. Some Christian groups have taken these concepts and went to another extreme, which is extreme of the prosperity gospel. It says that God wants you to be rich and God wants you to be this and God wants, and that's just simply not consistent with all the scripture. So basically, this is not the spirit of the scripture. He says, for I rejoice greatly when, my, when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in truth. So people came to St. John and told him, you know, we went to Gaius. Gaius is an amazing guy. He walks in truth. He's so nice. He's such a good guy, right? It's different than the type of news that people like to gossip about. I went to this person's house. He has a big house and his wife is dressed this way and this person married this way this, and they're dating this person. None of, none of this stuff. He's talking about how is this person walking with God? And he's telling him that I, I was so happy to hear that you are walking in the truth. The thing that's making St. John happiest the most is to see his children, not rich, but walking with God. There are many parents, by the way, that do not want their kids to surpass a certain point in the relationship with God. They come to church and once they start serving and then they become more and more dedicated and the parents be like, no, that's enough. Enough of the church. There are many cases, for example, where married, people who are about to get married, they want to have a, a holy reception and the problem is in the be concerned with the mission work that preaches and brings people to God. So St. Paul, this is the first part of the letter. St. Paul is encouraging Gaius for his work, for his hospitality, for taking care of the missionaries, taking care of the stranger. Look what he's saying now. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephus, who loves to have the prominence among them, does not receive us. So the next three verses, he's talking about a guy, his name is Diotrephus. Diotrephus is somebody most likely is very rich. The word diatrephus is a rare Greek name. And these rare Greek names belongs to Aristotelic family, the head of the, the rich part of the family. So this man, Diotrephus, he is most likely one of the richest people in the church. And it seems like St. John sent some letters to him, but he either did not read it to the church as a whole or ignored it. Diotrephus, it seems like he did not like the concept of John being a bishop and giving orders to the church and giving guidance to the church. And the main reason he did not like this because he wanted to be first. He wanted to be first. And this is a big problem that happens in every church. As a matter of fact, it is from the time of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, on the way to Jerusalem, three times the Gospel of Mark will mention this. The disciples will fight among themselves. Who is the greatest? Who is the greatest? Send, look in John, I'm going to read a small passage John, uh, Mark 10. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, you know that those who are considered ruler over the Gentiles, Lord, Lord it over them. 
and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. It is a big problem in every service, in almost every job, that people want to be remembered. People want to be the heroes. People want to be known. And this is one of the biggest warfare that every service faces. The concept of people want to show off at all different levels. You know, if you look at the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be astonished by one thing. When our Lord Jesus Christ ascended to heaven, how many people knew him? The upper room had 120 people. How many part of his ministry on earth he, he actually started to be known to people? Three years. His main goal was not to be known. His main goal was to save. And that's a big difference. That's a big difference. The problem is a lot of times people take the concept of pride of the world and bring it to church. People can do so many services and kill themselves at work in the church just to be first, just to be glorified. And St. John says, Dutrephus loves to be first. Look what St. John says, therefore if I come, I will call to mind his deed, which he does, prating against us with malicious words, and not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren, and forbids those who wish to putting them out of the church. Whoa. So what's happening here? St. John says, I'm going to come. If I come, I'm going to deal with him. Remember, St. John most likely sent him letters. He did not respond. St. John is a bishop, and he's responsible to correct these mistakes. And that's why sometimes as a servant, if I see a problem, I cannot just leave it alone. Sometimes I have to address it, maybe as an most of the time it's best to address it as an education to the whole class, or in sometimes I need to address it one by one. But this was a serious problem. Why is this a serious problem? Because there's three issues. Number one, St. John says Dietrephus is gossiping maliciously about us, like he's talking nonsense. He's not only being wicked, but he's also irrational. And you know, by the way, there are many people, when they come, when they sit and talk about the church, they talk about the leaders of the church, a lot of time they make fun of them. They simply start trying to find faults and criticize day and day, day and night. And St. John says, this is a sign of people like to be first. The second thing is St. John saying, he's disobeying the structure I've sent. I've told people to receive missionaries in their house and he's telling people, do not receive missionary in your house. Can you imagine? The bishop will give an instruction and he walks around and tells people, no, 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 don't do that. 
And the third thing is he's kicking people outside the church. Do you know how many people will say, for example, that I stopped coming to church because? And what's the reason? Well, people in my grade are not welcoming. Or I come to church and people don't include me. Or, for example, uh, I, have, I have been to church for many years and nobody knows my name. A lot of many problems that drives people away from the church. For John, I have sent him private letters. He's not listening. Now he says, when I come, I will remind him. He says, beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. So what St. John is doing, he says, imitate. This is a letter that will be read to the whole church. So he's giving him an example of Gaius, who's walking with God, an example of Diotrephus, who's not following the commandments of God. And he says, imitate what is good. By the way, humans, big part of the life is imitation. Like if you think about your life, how much of what you do is your authentic self, you'll find it a small percent. Most of the actions, most of the words, most of the things we do is a product of imitating people from a young age. So he's telling them, imitate what is good. Because we will end up imitating. Okay? And do not imitate what's evil. Like for example, it's quite often you have people who feel very, very, very unworthy to serve. And once they start serving, they start saying, you know what? How come... I don't get to do this. How come I don't get to lead this? How come I don't get to do this? And the negative thoughts that maybe people around them are sharing start penetrating through their minds. Instead of imitating what's good, they start imitating what is evil. And look what he says. He says, those who imitate evil, they do not know God. This is something that St. John uses a lot. Look here in 1 John 4, 4. He says, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And you know, one of the verses that I'm always, I look at and I'm a bit like in shock, 1 John 3, 6. He says, whoever abides in him does not sin. Can you imagine what St. John is saying? He says, whoever abides in God does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. So here, St. John is talking about if we are imitating evil, we are sinning. We are in a direction that is isolating ourselves from God. And if I am in that direction, I have not seen God. Now, the, last, the next couple of verses is going to talk about Demetrius. Most likely, Demetrius is somebody who is delivering the letter to Gaius. So Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness and you know that our testimony is true. 
And the apostolic constitution, they say that Demetrius later on was appointed to, to be the bishop of Philadelphia, one of the seven churches that they talked about in the book of Revelation. So St. John is giving Gaius the affirmation in Demetrius, and he's telling him Demetrius is a good guy, and he's the one who's delivering most likely the literature. But look at what John is doing. He says, Demetrius is good. Why is he good? Number one, people witness to him. People see his light. And number two, he says he's confirmed by the truth. He doesn't need people to witness to him because his life, his characteristics, his grace, it speaks for itself. The character of a person is a witness to a person. And the third thing, St. John is telling him, I myself witness to him. So it is important to keep that in mind because in our life, we need a trustworthy spiritual brotherhood and sisterhood. Because yes, we have spiritual fathers whom we can see maybe occasionally, but we need a spiritual brothers and sisters whom we can rely on daily. And St. John is focusing a lot on this concept. Tell him Demetrius is somebody that you can trust, somebody that you can share your spiritual struggle with. And if you look at the church, by the way, in the time of St. John and today, the problems are not much different. You have some people who claim to be in power, maybe they're rich, maybe they have some sort of connection, and they're trying to control everybody, and you have some people trying to do what the right thing, and then you have some guy who's trying to figure out how to communicate the, the message from, from the apostles or from the bishops and the priests to go on and to, it's the same dynamic. Nothing is new under the earth. Nothing is new. And then St. John tells him, this is the next two verses, last two verses, is more greeting. I have many things to write to you, but I do not wish to write it to you with pen and ink. Again, this is emphasis on the concept of verbal tradition. If you guys know St. John the Beloved was li lived between maybe 6 and 100 AD, he has a disciple, his name is Polycarp. Polycarp lived from 69 to 155. And then who was the disciple of Polycarp? St. Irenaeus, lived from 130 to 200. So you have a concept of verbal tradition that will go on from one generation to another. Look at what St. Basil the Great said in 330 AD. He says, the apostolic tradition taught us, this is what the tradition of the apostles taught us, taught us making the sign of the cross. So the, the Bible does not mention anywhere you should make the sign of the cross. Taught us to make the sign of the cross on our faces. Looking toward the east was something that they learned from the tradition. It doesn't say in the scripture. The rites of consecration, the rites of baptism, and all the remaining prayers recited by the priest. Who's saying this? St. Basil in the year of 330. The apostolic traditions, very important. When people looked at Clement of Alexandria, which was around the, around the year of 190, they found elements, the elements of the liturgy are very similar to what we have today. And he actually had a better, ex the best explanation I heard of why we pray Psalm 151 
was from Clement of Alexandria 100, 109 years after uh, in the second century. So it is important to keep in mind that there is a lot of things that were taught verbally. And we cannot, we cannot ignore them. We cannot ignore them. And the last verse is, but I hope to see you shortly and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. Obviously the word peace to you in Hebrew, greeting is shalom, which is peace. But after resurrection, it have received a different meaning. If you remember in, in John 20, it says, then the same day at evening being first day of the week when the doors were shut and the disciples were assembled for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. And when he has said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. The peace that we're talking about here is not a hi or goodbye or greeting. No, 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 no. This is the peace that the apostles are being sent with. It's a heavenly gift that they share with those whom they meet. That is the peace that he sends to him. It's not any peace. And here, the concept idea of individual relationship. He tell him, every, the church here, our friends greet you, greet the friends by name. There's a concept of individual identity. Every person in the church matters. And if one person is missing in the church, the church is not the same. The church is not the same. That's why in John 10, 3, it says, the good shepherd, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And leads them out. Knowing the people that I'm serving and I'm trusted with by name is quite important. And this is basically the letter of St. John. It's a letter to the church teaching people about how to deal with strangers, encouraging this behavior and and putting a stop to somebody who's using power to delay the work of God and glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Luigi had a question. Uh, for uh, St. Clement? Like for example, he was saying, if I remember it correctly, but he was saying for example, when you say, uh, praise God. So all the instruments that are used in that psalm, they're actually instruments of war. So he's saying it was not meant to be an actual instrument that he's talking about. When he says, for example, praise God with a harp. So he says the harp would look like a heart. Or when play, praise God with, uh, 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 I forgot, some of, some of the instruments would look like your lips or your tongue. So he's talking, he's talking about how all these, all these parts of the Psalm 151 is actually praising God with all who you are. It's not the innocent, it's actually the, who you are because the innocent were used as a innocent of war, but the all who you are was always used as an innocent of peace. And he has a whole explanation about when you take communion, you're reconciling with God and it is the full praise of peace. 
So it's a much beautiful explanation. I, I haven't found anyone until second century. And that really tells us about how, how the verbal tradition is extremely, extremely important. And when people come now and try to interpret the Bible away from the life of the church, they make so many mistakes. Because the Bible is a book written in the context of the life of the church. I cannot separate the two. The life of the church does not go against the Bible, but it is understood in the context of the life of the church. Yeah, for example, look at the Old Testament. You have so many things about the laws in, in Leviticus and what sort of sacrifice and all these things. And if you don't have the season of the church, Palm Sunday and Advent and Lent and all this stuff, how would you understand the Old Testament? It would make no sense. People who don't have a seasonal life of the church, to them the Old Testament is dead. And all, throughout all the feasts, what do we do? We read prophecies. Holy Week is coming, going to read prophecies all day. Why? Because the church makes us understand where all these prophecies mean and how are we living the old and the new together today. And that's all related to the life of the church. I cannot take the Bible out of the life of the church because that becomes a big problem. 